Thanks for checking out this episode of Screen Facts with Jason Davis, your movie trivia and discussion podcast. Please like us at facebook.com slash screenfacts. Post your comments or questions. You can tweet us at Jason Davis Voice. This podcast is a production of Jason Davis VoiceOver. Please visit jasondavisvoice.com for information about voiceover services for commercials, internet and corporate videos, e-learning, phone messages, and more. Joining me for this episode of the podcast, my favorite person in the entire universe, my wife, Sue. Wow. Thanks, honey. (laughs) You rank. In the universe? In the universe. That's saying something. In this or any universe. Oh. For that matter. Nice. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to talk about a weird movie. A strange movie, a unique movie, a very funny movie, Napoleon Dynamite. (laughs) Gosh. (laughs) Gosh. So uh, Napoleon Dynamite released August 27th, 2004, directed by Jared Hess, written by Jared Hess and Jerusha Hess, starring John Heater, Ephraim Ramirez, John Grease or Grise. I want to say John Grise, though. It's spelled like cries with a G. Okay. So, estimated budget for the movie, $400,000, which is not a lot to make a movie. Not a lot of money. They had 200000 of it to actually do the movie itself. So, the producer, Jeremy Kuhn, was also a student at BYU at the time. When they needed money, Jeremy went to his brother, Jonathan, and wrote the check. And he said to him, if this goes south, we're still brothers, but don't ask me for money again. So, it was like a real leap of faith. For his brother. His brother, by the way, founded 1-800-CONTACTS. Okay. The other 200 <laughs> was spent pretty much on that bonus scene that came out later on. Oh, okay. Sort of the Easter egg at the end, yeah, you mean? Yeah, Okay. Talk about low budget. Yeah, they shot the movie in 22 days, which mm-hmm. again, not a lot of time. Mm-hmm. Or, well, not or... a lot of money. Makes you work smart. Makes you get very organized. Makes you not crack up during the scenes. Yeah. So you can just go. The <laughs> domestic gross was $44.5 million, and plus it made another $1.5 million overseas. And that is a, a hell of a profit for a movie like this. That is. That's awesome. It is. Yeah. It is. A lot of things in this movie remind me of Clerks, Kevin Smith's debut oh, movie. okay. Not thematically. Right. But the fact that it was made on a very small budget. Of course, Clerks was made for a lot less, mm-hmm. but quick shooting time. I'm sure they didn't do a mm-hmm. ton of takes of things. So I love movies like this. Mm-hmm. They're a lot of fun, mm-hmm. and you can tell that there's a lot of passion yep. from the filmmakers. Yep, this was actually an undergrad film project. Okay. That was how it originated. One of the things about you that I love <laughs> <laughs> doing the podcast with you is you love doing research. It's so much fun. I do. I yeah. do, I do. And you go way deeper. I'm going to probably defer to you mostly in terms of the trivia stuff for this movie. Mm-hmm. Okay. So If you want, as I... As you shuffle your shuffle 15 through pages through my 25 of notes. page document. <laughs> it's really, literally. <laughs> that, that is, Look at the font. That is some dense material. I'm not getting any younger. I need to have the font big. That <laughs> so isn't even that big it. compared to what I'm looking at on my computer screen right now. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> Where shall we start, honey? Let's talk about how unique this movie is. It's totally unique, but. I'm told it's not unique also. It depends on your perspective and where you're coming at it from. Okay, explain. Well, for example, you and I were Jersey kids, right? Right. So we look at a lot of this stuff and go, oh, that was random, and oh, that's unusual, and (laughs) oh my gosh, is it really like that? And yet, if you talk to somebody from that area, they say, oh yeah, no, that's it. (laughs) That's totally, that's life in Idaho. It's totally life in Idaho. For example, before, they put the opening credits in mm-hmm. and actually set the time 
but I'll go into more more of that later. When they just showed the film for the first time, right. somebody said to Jared Hess, what's the time period? And he just said, Idaho. <laughs> Idaho time. Yeah, yeah. My boss, who is the best boss I've ever had in the world, and I'm not just saying that because he might be listening. <laughs> <laughs> he really is. I think a lot of it comes from his upbringing and the fact that he grew up in Idaho. He was a farm kid. Mm -hmm. And I actually <laughs> took a little time this week and said, you know, what do you think of the, this movie? And do you think it's realistic? Is it that? And he said, oh, yeah, it's definitely Idaho. So let's say this. The scenery is beautiful. Beautiful. I mean, it's just miles and miles of nothingness. You mm -hmm. see the mountains, the mountains in the background. Everywhere. Oh, gorgeous. I mean, it looks like a, a, a nice, peaceful, wonderful place yes. to live and all that. Randy actually said when Napoleon's running down the street mm -hmm. and, you know, there's nothing around for miles. He, that just scene cracks him up every time just because <laughs> that's how it is. There's yeah. nothing around for miles. I'm curious if everybody in Idaho eats steak for every meal, though. I wonder. I wonder. And steak and potatoes? I mean, it has, it's the I mean, potato state. It's right, farms. Right. I mean, that can't be healthy to eat steak every meal. <laughs> Probably <laughs> although, not. Although Lance Picus from American Ninja Warrior, who's from Idaho. That's true. The cowboy ninja. He's in tremendous shape. So. Yeah, yeah. So I guess it, it really depends on your, on how well, active of a lifestyle I you have. I guess so. Well, lean grass-fed beef is yeah. not too bad for yeah, you, they say. I guess. What was the deal with the llamas? Is that like a thing? He said everybody had a llama. <laughs> everybody had a llama or two or three. Just Why? I asked him that and he said, I, I don't know. He said Idaho. He did, basically. <laughs> Idaho. <laughs> I said to him, is it really like it's 20, 30 years behind the times? And he said, yeah, and nobody cares. It's yeah. just that's how it is. Yeah, that's the thing with this movie, too. It is sort of timeless in the sense that there's things in it that look very 70s. There's things that look very 80s. Right. But it came out in 2004. Yeah. So there's also stuff that seems like it's from that time frame, too. Yeah. So. Well, even the popular girls, if you want to call them that, Summer and Trisha. I mean, right. best they look like they're from the 90s, maybe. Right. <laughs> yeah. Nothing there's really modern, modern. It's I mean, very unusual, the movie, in terms of just the way it looks. Yeah. I mean, they have internet. Kip's romance. Yeah. <laughs> but... LaFonda? No, LaFonda. Oh. But like even the phone in their house, it's a wall phone with a cord. A very know? long cord. A very long cord that goes out the front door. Right. For some reason, I thought he locked himself out of the house one time, but he didn't. It seems like that could happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, but even the way the house is, the decor of the house, with oh, the brick yeah. wall, the fake yep. brick and the, the shag carpet, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Just everything about it. The furniture... Yeah, well, it turns out the production designer mm -hmm. for the movie worked with a very, very, very small budget. I think he had a budget of maybe 5000 Okay. for the entire movie. That's nothing. By the way, do you know what he does now? Corey Lorenzen? What? He is the production designer on The Goldbergs. Oh, wow. Yeah, so he's real good at all that retro stuff. Yeah, and that's a great show, too. Yeah, you know, and I had read this, and then we were watching the movie, and I was like, oh, look, the top-loading VHS. Oh, the Goldbergs. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Actually, it looks like the same model, too. It might be. It's <laughs> funny. Yeah. Um, on the Goldbergs, he has over $100,000 an episode to spend. Wow. Yeah. That's a 30-minute episode. Actually, yeah. technically 22 minutes, probably. That's amazing, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. But he said for doing Napoleon Dynamite, they didn't have a lot of money, but they had a lot of time okay. to prepare. So that can that can be helpful. Mm -hmm. he, he was able to plan what the movie could look like. And Jared knew everyone in town because he went right back to the town he grew up in, mm -hmm. Preston, Idaho. 
and one of the family friends said, oh, I have a storage unit full of furniture. Help yourself to anything you need. Oh, wow. So they w- <laughs> went in, and it was sealed up about in 1986, maybe, and forgotten about. And that's they got the sofas, the side tables, the oh, glass blue lamp, everything for the living room. The chairs in the dining room yep. area or whatever. Yeah. That adds to the charm of the movie for it me. It really does. If everything looked perfect, it wouldn't make sense. Right. Right, you know, and apparently people are like that. Yeah, that's true. You know, Randy said they live in very traditional style homes, mm-hmm. and if what you have works, why trade it in? Yeah, John Heater was only paid a thousand dollars to play Napoleon. Yeah, and he took it because you know what? When you're a college kid, yeah, he wasn't even a theater major or a film major. He was an illustration major. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, so he actually did all the illustrations mm-hmm. except for the unicorn. So he actually drew the Liger then? Yes, he did. He did, and he drew the picture of Trisha. Just showed it to her on set one day. He's like, hey, what do you think? She's <laughs> like, oh, that's great. <laughs> Wait a minute. So so that the picture that he drew of Trisha that's in the movie, mm-hmm, With he all drew, the shading on the upper lip. Right, yeah. right, exactly. <laughs> that's supposed to be a real representation of her? <laughs> no, okay. no, no. He said... Um, <laughs> that he knew the look that they were going for. Okay. And since he was an animation major, he could right. he could do that. Okay. I think he said he has the Pegasus picture up on the door to his one of his kids' rooms. Oh, okay. <laughs> Very cool. Yeah. By the way, ligers are real. Yes, they are. They are. Except they're not bred for their skills in magic. <laughs> no, they're not. But I think if you go to a zoo in maybe South Korea is where they are. Oh, okay. We you should, can look them up online. You should you, look that Google up. Google liger and you'll find pictures of a lion tiger crossbreed. They're huge. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, they're okay. really big. But that's I think that's kind of cool. But, you know, yeah. despite the fact that he was only paid $1,000 to play the role, mm-hmm. I mean, he permed his hair. I mean, that's commitment. Well, yeah, 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 yeah. There's a funny story about that. Not too many people realize, because I didn't until doing my research, that the very first little film that Jared Hess did was a little short called Peluca. Okay. And he did that as a project in his intermediate film class. Okay. Now, it turns out that John Heater was in that class, even though he's an illustration major, because his professors and advisors had said to him, you really need to take a production class. So that was like the luck of the draw, him being in there. So Jared Hess wrote the script and put together like a nine-minute film. We watched it the other night, that little black and white Mm -hmm. interesting thing. And it's essentially the beginning part of of the Napoleon Dynamite movie. Yeah, so they had gone, Jared and Jerusha had gone and taken John down to the thrift store in town to get costume pieces and stuff like that. They said with John, it was like a little problem because he was, you know, good, good looking guy. And how are they going to like get, get across <laughs> this character? And somebody said, a perm. <laughs> <laughs> so he went and he got his hair permed and they did Palooka. Okay. So after they did Palooka, it led to more talk about if you could take an idea, you know, and go with it, what would you do? And he said, oh, I would take Palooka and turn it into a full-length movie. Mm -hmm. When they were going to start filming, they said to John Heater, you need to get your hair permed again. He said, fine, I'll I'll go back. So he goes and he gets his hair permed again. And he called up Jerry and said, it's done, but it's really not that great. I think it's looser this time. So when they (laughs) met up with him, it was, they said he looked like Shirley Temple. Oh, no. So... They're like freaking out. They're like, what are we going to do? Because, you know, he's got to have this tight perm again. And (laughs) Jerusha, her cousin was a hairdresser. (laughs) So they said, well, we really run the risk of, you know, if we perm it again, of really frying it. But they, Jerusha and her cousin, like rewashed his hair and set it and did it. And it came out just that horrible, frizzy, 
this nappy, they, they called it a rat's yeah. nest. Yeah. Because of the chemicals and everything, he couldn't wash it for three weeks. Oh, wow. So <laughs> they did all the filming with him with perm head. Have you ever been near someone who's had a perm? Oh, it's it smells horrible. I got them. I got them back in the 80s. Yeah. And it was, I could not wait until I could wash my hair again. Yeah. But they said flies were like buzzing in and out of his <laughs> hair the whole filming. It was just ridiculous. But he said, you know, he felt it was worth it because it really helped nail the character. Oh, absolutely. No question. <laughs> his whole look with the mm -hmm. with the closed eyes and yep. just everything about yeah. it, it's wonderful. Yeah. I mean, the glasses they found in the thrift store. Mm -hmm. And he said, oh, these will work. He said he could barely see out of them. <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> they worked. It's an, a movie that I've only seen a couple of times. And I feel like I, I need to watch it more because there's probably lots of things that you miss. So many details. Yeah. Amazing, amazing <laughs> details. And I was reading forums and people were writing, oh, I'm from Idaho. Yeah, <laughs> that's what it's like. That's or awesome. I, li I, I grew up an hour away from there. Yeah, that's definitely it. We think it's so unusual, but a lot of the things in the movie were happened to Jared Hess himself or John Heater. Okay. A lot of it was based on their own personal, true experiences. For example? The brothers slapping each other. <laughs> a John Heater comes from a family, I, I don't know how many brothers he has, but it's quite a few. And he said that they would talk to each other like that and just slap each other. <laughs> and gosh, and you're such an idiot. And, you know, <laughs> and, you know, they, they didn't curse. Right. So they would make up words like flipping, flipping when Napoleon says that decroted piece of crap. <laughs> like, that's not a word. <laughs> but John Heater said, oh, yeah, I would definitely have said something like that to my brothers. <laughs> that's awesome. Well, you had even said with the bus ride. Yeah. When he takes the action figure oh, and tosses yeah. it out the window. So uh, when I was a little kid, I lived in Florida for a little while. I took a, a school bus and where I lived in Florida, scenically, not quite as sparse as Idaho. But I mean, you know, we lived in an area with a lot of dirt roads or, or like, you know, gravel roads. But yeah, I remember getting on the bus. You typically wanted to sit more toward the back because you didn't want to be near the bus driver. Because, <laughs> you know, you didn't want to, you wanted to be able to goof off yeah, a little bit. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I remember like putting the window down like that. That's so funny. And I feel like I, I, I don't know if I did it, but I feel like people hung things out the window like that. Yeah, yeah. Because there's not much else to do. You I know? guess not. And, you know, around here, you couldn't do it because the cars drive so close to you. They'd probably oh, yeah, run it yeah. over. No, I mean, it's it's got to be like on a gravelly road like that. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. When you were waiting for school, you didn't ever happen to see anybody shoot a cow, did you? No. Thank God I never had that traumatic <laughs> experience. Well, that's good. That's good. Because uh, Jared Hess really was basing that on a real incident, too. He said they had a cow. The family had a cow because mm -hmm. you had a cow. Right. And they were raising it as a hobby and it started to charge and attack his mom. Oh, wow. <laughs> so they called an old farmer to come over and, and take care of it. And he was hard of hearing and he just shot the cow right in front of his little brother's school bus as he was heading off to kindergarten. Oh, man. <laughs> That's got to be traumatizing, <laughs> right? It's kind of crazy. It's nuts. You know, the guy who shot the cow mm -hmm. was a local from town. And actually was a friend of theirs. Okay. You know, yeah, and he, and he appears a couple of times in the movie. Yeah, yeah. He's got that real distinctive look. You know, you can't... Yeah. You really can't miss him. So the other time, so he shoots the cow, and then mm -hmm. when they're at the chicken farm, and, yep. and Napoleon says, do the chickens have large talons? <laughs> and then he goes, I don't understand a word you're saying to me. <laughs> yep. Well, the actor, his name was Dale Critchlow. Okay. And he was a guy in Jared's ward that he used to have to go buck hay with. Okay. 
Didn't know what buck hay was until today because okay. I'm a Jersey girl, but Randy told me it's okay. on the farm when you have to like hoist the hay and, you know, really, you know, get it up to where you're going. Here's <laughs> yeah. his neighbor, farmer friend, and they kind of said, I need a favor, Dale, uh, I need you to be in my movie. And Dale said, what do I need to do? And he goes, oh, you just need to shoot a cow. <laughs> and Dale goes, well, I can do that. <laughs> <laughs> so, so besides that, he was in the egg mm-hmm. at the egg farm. Right. Randy told me every neighborhood had a chicken farm. Yeah, I'm I sure. Know. They probably don't have a lot of access to grocery stores and stuff when you're in the middle of nowhere, <laughs> it's right? True. Yeah. So you get your own eggs. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm okay with the egg scene as they're having their sandwiches and eating hard boiled eggs, but when they start drinking the eggs, and then, but there's like all the flies oh. all over the sandwiches and stuff too. It's really a gross scene. <laughs> It's really disgusting. And when Napoleon starts to gaggle, I'm gagging with them. Yeah. P.S. When I lived in Florida, there was a chicken farm not too far from where we lived. Uh-huh. Man, did it stink. Oh, man. Holy shit, did it stink. <laughs> wow. Yeah, so... Yeah, that whole scene, like, when he's shoving the chicken into the coop... Oh, man, yep. ...and yep, stuff. Yep. I wonder if he ever, like, really worked on a chicken farm, John Heater. He might have. I Because I, he, he definitely looked like he knew how to handle chickens. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know if he had on-the-job training. Yeah, maybe. And he gets home, mm-hmm. and, he, and he's counting out the change because the guy couldn't find his yeah. checkbook. And he goes, six dollars? That's like a dollar an hour. <laughs> well, cause, because his uncle tells him to go make money. Right. Yeah. Dale Critchlow also was in that, that bonus scene, the Easter egg of the end. Um, right after the credits, the yeah, end credits. Yeah, the wedding. And mm-hmm. he ad-libbed the part about the advice for them. Mm-hmm. You know, when an argument arises, go outside, take a nice walk. You'll come down, <laughs> then you come back, and it won't be an argument. Then yeah. you'll find that helps your health. Yeah, that's, <laughs> but that, you know what? That's good advice. Yeah. Because yeah. most of the time when people argue, it's probably about something really dumb. Yeah. And if they just walked away, just walk and, away. <laughs> and just cooled off for a minute. Yep. Yeah. Yep. There you have one neighbor, three different parts in the movie. That's great. With the limited budget, that's exactly. what you got to do, right? Well, that's what they he, they said. They did a lot of just asking around. Mm-hmm. Someone's cousin, someone's friend, everyone. And they couldn't really pay them. They would like give them soda. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, speaking of like locals and stuff. Uh-huh. So one of the things about this movie that's, that's very interesting mm-hmm. is that it's one of the longest credited cast lists in movie history. It is. All 181 student extras names are listed in the closing credits. That is Which very I think is true. very cool because yeah. now all those kids, well, they're not kids anymore. They all can say, hey, I was in Napoleon Dynamite and you can see my name in the credits. That's right. That's right. They needed a lot of extras, especially for that final dance scene. Right. So Jared has said if he threw a hot dog boil, people would come. <laughs> So one of the producers called the school board. The school board gave them a hard copy of the school directory, and they just had interns calling around. Oh, wow. And people came to be in it. Jared Hess actually was elected student body president. Oh, wow. And uh, So he was uh, Pedro. Yeah, I guess so. And and they did a skit. Okay. Because apparently that's the thing. After that's, you that's give your you speech, okay. you have to do that's a skit. Funny. And um, he also liked to wear moon boots well into spring. Okay. So I'm not quite sure what that's about because you'd think that would be really hot. Uh, yeah, I would think so. Jerusha Hess, mm-hmm. his wife said she, and she was a co-writer also. Right. And she did the costumes. Right. She really was like Deb growing up. Okay. So um, her mom made her a dress when she was going to a middle school dance. So she said she hadn't really developed yet. Okay. So her mom kind of overcompensated and made some very large fluffy shoulders. Okay. And some guy dancing with her padded the sleeves and actually said, 
I like your sleeves. They're really big. <laughs> <laughs> that actress was great. Yeah, she was a child star. Tina Majorino. Majorino? Yeah, because yeah. she was in um, Corinna Corinna and Andre. Okay. She was in Waterworld. Okay. She's gone on to do some other yeah, stuff, too. she took a couple years off. She was, like, burned out. Mm-hmm. And then when they were getting ready to take Palooka and really convert it into Napoleon Dynamite and go from there, they knew they wanted to work with um, John Heater. They knew they wanted to work with Aaron Rule. And then they sent scripts out to L.A. Mm-hmm. Efren Ramirez auditioned mm-hmm. for it. He was um, actually a theater student, Cal State Los Angeles. He studied theater. He did Shakespeare. He did all this stuff. So when he auditioned, he'd been working on a show called Even Stevens for Disney, okay. which was a pretty popular thing back then. Yeah. And um, he was like, oh, it's an independent film. I'll try it. You know, let's see how it goes. And he loved it. And he said he took the idea of Buster Keaton okay. and his ex-girlfriend's dog and put them together. Okay. Came up with Pedro. <laughs> <laughs> That's an interesting uh, combination. Very interesting. Haley Duff played Summer. She's gone into more other things. Yeah. You know, she's got a few kids. She's um, gotten into cooking and she's written cookbooks and oh, stuff okay. like that. Okay. So she, acting wasn't really where she wanted to be No, anyway. but okay. she said like her um, her manager called her and said this kind of bizarre movie came to us and I thought maybe <laughs> you'd be interested. And she said the script had really these long pauses in it. It would be one line then beat, beat. Be, you know, but she just saw the humor in it and just loved it. And the idea of, you know, these L.A. actors. That makes sense, coming though. Out and auditioning for these parts cracks me up. Because, I mean, I, I mean, that's the way life in Idaho probably is. So mm-hmm. it makes sense that the script is written that way, too. And, of course, because the writers were from there. Yeah. And they say, write what you know. Exactly. I thought it was interesting in my limited research. Mm-hmm. I found that John Heater and uh, Efren Ramirez both have an identical twin in real life. Oh, yes. Good. You got that. Yeah. And the other thing, too, um, Heater was 26 and Ramirez was 31 when they made the movie. So that's very interesting, too. And they're playing high school students. Yeah. Well, that's not unusual. It's just interesting. Yeah. Well, you know, Ramirez had been acting for a little bit. Um, I think Tina Majorino and Haley Duff were some of the few like 16 to 18 year olds at that point. Along with the extras, everyone else was older. Okay. Yeah. I think they pull it off pretty well, though. Yeah. I mean, it's not really unusual. Most of the time in the movies, teenagers are played by people that are no longer minors, at least. Exactly. They're either 18 or maybe in their early 20s. 35. No, I'm kidding. You read something about the wardrobe in this movie, too, right? Yeah. It was pretty much thrift store. Okay. They would go there and just find stuff. And uh, Jerusha said she didn't have to do any sewing. Yeah. So I guess the suit must have fit him. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing <laughs> you know? like that they found the right sizes for everybody. Yeah, she said the only thing she had to do was sew the pocket onto the pants so they could put for the, the tots. tots. Yeah. <laughs> so I can't believe we've gone this far into the podcast and mm-hmm. we haven't talked about Uncle Rico yet. <gasps> Uncle Rico. Great character actor. So awesome. I only wish I knew how to pronounce his name properly. John Grease or John Grise? We're sorry. We're sorry, John. Yeah. We love you. But he's been around forever. Um, mm-hmm. One of my favorite roles of his is a 1985 film, Real Genius, yes. with Val Kilmer, which, is, by the way, is my favorite Val Kilmer role. Yeah, yeah. But he plays Laszlo Hollyfeld, mm-hmm. the guy that lives in the closet at the uh, school, mm-hmm. and he's great in that. But he's been around a long time, mm-hmm. and he's done all kinds of character work. Yeah. He wasn't the first choice for that part. Initially, they wanted Jack Black. Oh, wow. That would have been interesting. There was no way they could afford yeah. him. Yeah. Um, yeah. But Jared did actually make Nacho Libre. 
with Jack Black. Okay, yeah. They didn't know what to do, and the casting director was friends with John Grease and showed the filmmakers his demo reel. Didn't even audition. They just were like, we want you. The manager (laughs) went to him and said, look, you don't want to do this. (laughs) But once he read the script, he Mm -hmm. said, tell him I'm doing the movie and I'll drive myself there. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. He said it was the dialogue. Oh, okay. It's like, you know, reading gosh and and thinking, who says gosh? And, (laughs) oh, dang it. Dang. Yeah. (laughs) Grease in working with Jared Hess to develop the character said that a lot of directors feel they need to be very intellectual mm-hmm. when they're you know discussing characterization with their actors. I you know I see this character as tortured or <laughs> this character is this or that. So uh, Grease met with Jared Hess in Los Angeles and uh, Jared said, "Here's how I see Uncle Rico." <laughs> and he stood there for a minute and then he said. Well, he runs like this, and he ran down this block in L.A. doing his best David Hasselhoff run <laughs> for Baywatch. <laughs> and Grease was like, I love this guy. Say no more. I got it. <laughs> it's such a, it's such an <laughs> interesting character. Runs. And, and like, talk about a guy living in the past. Yeah. And the time machine. The time machine. Set to 1982. Well, 82 is when he, if the coach would have put him in, right. you know, in the fourth quarter, they right. would have taken state championship. Yeah. Oh, it's so sad. I mean... When that, he's sitting on the porch and mm-hmm. looking out, you yeah. know, and he's like, oh, don't, uh, what do you want to bet? I can just throw this football throw, over the mountain. I can throw a pigskin a quarter mile. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and the way he, he's looking off and he's like, I, I'd have my soul made. Yeah, I would have been he, in the NFL and I would have made millions of dollars. Yeah. And, yeah. Yep. And he mentions soulmate twice in yep. that monologue. And later on, Kip says, you know, to find your soulmate again. Right. So it's a, that's a running theme there. Yeah. So when he's on the porch mm-hmm. and he throws the stake yeah. and it hits Napoleon, yeah. isn't that like... Oh, that, that gets me every time. It's the funniest thing. When they were filming that, they were having a crew member throw it. Okay. And they did three tries of it not landing. They didn't have money for film. Okay. And they didn't have time for this. So John Grease said, look it, I used to play baseball. I got this. Give me it. And he threw it and got him right in the head. And the sound that it made was actually the sound in the movie. Oh, that's awesome. Like it's not an added sound effect. So funny. Yep. <laughs> you know, other great characters. I mean, let's talk about Aaron Rule. Yeah, Kip. Kip. Kipland Ronald Dynamite. That's right. That is. <laughs> Jared asked if Aaron would play Kip in a similar manner to how I would do an impression of my younger brother. Okay. I had and have zero acting aspirations, so I took the role just down to a month-long hang fest. <laughs> Serious shoulder slouching, chin down, standard insecure body posturing, and a major frown. My mouth was always sore at the end of filming. This is Aaron Rule saying that? Yeah. So okay. he was doing a, like an impersonation of his younger brother. Okay. Now, his braces. Okay. Okay. By the way, I feel like he maybe got a little bit of inspiration from Butthead, from Beavis and Butthead. Yeah, because we kind of think his voice sounds like His that. voice kind of sounds like it. The braces later on. What was the deal with the braces? The braces was they wanted braces on the character. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times what they do is they make a retainer. Okay. And it looks like you have braces, but you can take them on and off. Okay. But that's kind of expensive. They didn't have money for that. <laughs> so someone in Jared's family was a dentist and they actually put braces on him. Wow. So those are real. Holy cow. <laughs> so they said, you know, he comes in one day, he's got the braces, he goes into wardrobe, he comes out and they're all like, oh my God, that's Kip. Wow. Yeah. 
I mean, he's he's super funny, the yeah. character, and yeah. the way he talks, everything about him. Yeah, I love him. Um, he said uh, years ago he was directing Peyton Manning in a Gatorade spot. Okay. Someone told him that I played Kip in the film, and Peyton fanned out, like a uh. total fanboy. Oh, man, you're Kip. We watch the film all the time on the bus. Yeah. And let's do lines. They were doing lines in the movie. <laughs> Not lines of cocaine, kids. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Multi-talented. Yeah, who knew? Who knew? He didn't only act in the movie, he also created the opening credits. Which are great. The movie originally wasn't going to have opening credits like that. It was mm-hmm. going to just open with Napoleon standing and waiting for the bus. Which is how Palooka opens. Yes. The short film. Um, but it was causing a little bit of confusion because, you know, the whole, what's the decade? Right. And what's going on with this? So they said, all right, we'll do opening credits. They were trying to keep it under budget. So they screened the film at Sundance. Mm-hmm. And it didn't play well. So then people were saying, you know, what year does it take place? I'm confused. Mm-hmm. Fox Searchlight people were saying, well, we should do something to say what time it is. And Jared Hess kept explaining, I grew up in a small town in Idaho and things are just more functional and fashion doesn't matter. And right. this and that. So Fox said, well, let's do an opening title sequence. So eight months after the film had been completed, mm-hmm. before the theatrical release, they did the title sequence. Okay. So... The way they set the time is by showing his school ID, and it says uh, 2004 to 05. Okay. And they went to the cinematographer's basement. Aaron worked with him, and they wanted to make it really cool and interesting, so they came up with the idea of the food and the plates, and they were friends with a guy who owned a carpet store, Mm -hmm. so they borrowed carpet squares. (laughs) <laughs> and used that as the background right. and filmed right on the floor. No frills, baby. No frills. John Heater was the one putting all the plates down mm-hmm. and everything because you see the hands, right? Right. So they showed that to somebody <laughs> in Searchlight and some lady said, yeah, this is great, but the hands are kind of gross. Like there's hangnails <laughs> and this is this is terrible. We'll send you guys a hand model. Oh, God. So they were like, oh. Because that's okay. what this movie needs, a flipping hand model. Yeah, and he said this was his first interaction with the studio at all. Yeah. You know, and they were that's like, ridiculous. hand model. So they flew out a hand model a couple of weeks later, five or six shades darker than John Heater. <laughs> so they reshot, but now they're all intermixed. And if you look, there's like three different dudes' hands because one of the producers did it too. Okay. I love stuff like that. And there's been other movies where they've done similar kind of uh, opening credits. Yeah. You know, very creative. Yeah. It's very creative. It's very creative. You know, and I never noticed it about the background, Mm -hmm. but when I read that about the carpet scores, I went, oh my gosh, that's awesome. And all they did was just call their friend. Yep. It's like how they got the cow. How did they get the cow? Well, they needed a a prize cow. We're talking about the cow that gets shot. The cow that gets shot, yes. Why did they need a prize cow to shoot? Well, they were shooting near the end of the production. They needed a cow that would be very gentle, easy to handle. The, the cow didn't show up. The, the trailer got stuck in a ditch somewhere. Okay. So Preston's a small town and everyone had the same phone prefix. They picked up a phone, dialed the three numbers, and then put four random numbers in. <laughs> Do you have a cow we can use? That yep. kind of a thing? Hi, I'm a producer on a movie. We need to borrow a cow. And they were like, yeah, sure. Wow. Because everyone in town knew what was going oh, on. So um, they said, we have Bessie. She's a 4-H cow. She's good around people. Where are you? And they 10 minutes later, they had the cow. That's awesome. See, I love stories like that, especially when it comes to movie making, mm-hmm. because you know we've talked about other movies on the podcast where they had to just make things happen right. without spending money because yeah. they just didn't have a budget. Yeah, exactly. Starting with the very first episode of the podcast when I talked about Rocky. Exactly. You know, they had to do a lot of stuff, mm-hmm. uh, sort of guerrilla filmmaking, they called it. Yeah. Same thing with Clerks. Yeah. 
you got to be creative. Yeah. When we've done community theater stuff, when you don't really have much of a budget, you're very good at making things happen that, you know, otherwise, wow, how did you do that? Yeah. Thanks, Annie. So <laughs> a budget. <laughs> so that, that probably another re- yeah exactly probably another reason why you appreciate a movie. Oh, like probably this. yeah because if you think about that, they made a call to get the cow. He asked his neighbor to be the guy with the gun. Right. And they filmed it, and they said the cow was so gentle that if they kept filming after the bus had pulled away, mm-hmm. you would have seen the cow licking the end of the gun. Aww. <laughs> <laughs> you know the neighborhood pitched in and how they got the van. They said the van was the hardest thing to get. Mm-hmm. Well, besides the the one cow with five nipples. <laughs> Right. That was not easy to find. Right. Uncle Rico's van we're talking about. Yeah. Okay. One of them, producers saw the van and they found the owner and, um, you know, said, can we use your van? And he would bring it over. But sometimes the van wouldn't start. <laughs> so they'd just film right there because a lot of times the van's parked. Right. Yeah. You and, know? It's, and sometimes it's parked in a weird place. Too. Yeah. Well, that's why. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, van's not starting. So uh, I guess we're just going to roll film here. We're filming in a cornfield. There okay. You go. Let's okay. go for it. I love that shot of the van parked in the middle of the field with the clothesline. Yeah. And when he's, you know, making the video, throwing the football and mm-hmm, stuff. Mm-hmm. That's such a great, beautiful wide shot. It's beautiful. Nothing yeah. around for miles. From 2004 to 2008, there was a festival yeah. that they had every year. Mm-hmm. They had a tater tot eating contest, yeah. football throwing, lookalikes. Yeah. And all kinds of other competitions like based on stuff in the movie. So, yeah. and, and people still go there. They say it's a, a nice stop if you're going to Mount Rushmore. Okay. Like if you're heading that way. Yeah. It's like a stop on the trip and stop and do that. It's kind of like the Field of Dreams in, in yeah. Iowa. Yeah. Obviously not a lot going on there, but if you're a big fan of the movie, mm-hmm. it's probably a cool thing. Yeah. So you know how I've always said we should do a little movie tour of the U.S. We should, actually. We should. See, that would be a perfect opportunity to go visit Idaho. That's why, yeah. Yeah. Do that, do Field of Dreams. I want to go to Oregon mm-hmm. and see where, you know, the, the Goonies, Goonies yep. all of that. Yeah. That would be fun. Yeah. If we ever make it happen to rent our RV and do the road trip. Those could be some of the destinations. Yeah, I think some. a lot of people probably plan their stuff in kind of like traditional stops. Mm-hmm. You know, Mount Washington and this and that, and Route 66, and we'll be like... <laughs> <laughs> well, let's go see the place where they film such and such. Right, we'll exactly. Just, you know, make it around the country that way. Yeah. That'd be cool. So, obviously, one of the key scenes in this movie is Napoleon's dance sequence. Absolutely famous in its own right. Jared Hess had John Heater improvise and dance to three different songs, mm-hmm. and he took the best stuff and put it together for what's in the movie. Yes. They had approximately 11 minutes of film. Okay. But the whole thing was that Jared Hess heard that John was a dancer. Oh, okay. So apparently, if you were going out clubbing in L.A., you might, or in the area, wherever, you would see John Heater and his twin brother doing like these crazy synchronized dances out on like a club dance floor. Oh, wow. (laughs) So that's why he was like, hmm, this would be pretty shocking if we have a guy like who looks and acts like Napoleon Dynamite throwing down some sweet moves. Yeah. He's got some awesome moves. Yeah. And so he was a little nervous, but he said, you know what? I, I got the guts to do this. I'll do this. So yeah. the reason he danced to three different songs was because they had no idea what they were going to be able to get the rights for. Okay. <laughs> because rights cost money. Right. And they were really into Jamiroquai. That song is not as well known as, say, a Michael Jackson song right. or, or a famous disco song right. or whatever. Right. I think that it works better that it's a song that's not as yeah. big. Yeah. So they, um, they would have kept rolling, but they ran out of film. Okay. They said, okay, that's a wrap. And the editor said that half his time in editing the movie was spent just on the dance itself. I believe it. Just putting yeah. it all together. 
Yeah, it's great. You it's know, classic it's scene. It's awesome. And yeah. what a good friend Napoleon is. Yeah. Yep. Let me tell you. Bailing it, out Pedro like that? You know, because, I mean, he meets Pedro just because he's in the hall. So I guess we're like friends now? Yeah, and then it's, I guess, <laughs> we're friends now. And then he just calls him up to talk to him here and there. Yeah. But he's, he's yeah. a good friend. Yeah. You know, and you can even see the the conflict on him. He's like looking out at him, at Pedro giving the speech. He looks down at his Walkman. He looks up again. He's like, <laughs> the tape comes out. And you know the tape is the one that LaFonda had given him. Right. Because she said, my cousin put this together. Right. And, you know, he goes with it. Not to mention that he did train for that moment. He did. With that VHS tape that he got Dequan's at the store. Dequan's dance moves. That's right. It isn't real. I looked it up. <laughs> of course you did. <laughs> I thought, what a great thing that would be. They do make a cool t-shirt that says Dequan's dance moves. Nice. And, of course, you could, I'm sure, still buy Vote for Pedro shirts. Yeah, you can. And yeah. I think you can also buy Rex. Oh, okay. The Rex Quando. Yeah, Rex Quando. That was one thing that I think if this movie had a little bit more of Dietrich Bader, that w- that would not have sucked. How funny! But again, is it's he? probably uh, you know maybe there's a limited amount of time they had with him or whatever. Maybe, yeah. And I'm watching him in this movie, and I'm thinking this guy is so versatile. I mean, mm-hmm. Office Space, yep. this American Housewife, American Housewife. Yeah. I mean, he's done a lot of stuff, obviously, oh, yeah. mm-hmm. but he's just a talented dude. Yeah, you know, and yeah. just funny. The character reminded me a little bit of the martial arts guy from Disjointed on Netflix. Yeah. So I wonder if like if that character on Disjointed was based like, on came him from sort that of. A little. Yeah. I wonder. I don't know if you noticed Granny when she was uh, riding the dunes. Yeah. She had a T-shirt on, and I like saw the top of it in one shot, and I said, "What does that say?" Oh, it's something about like uh, my being husband divorced, divorced me. Yeah. yeah. So I looked and I looked and I looked and I looked in the next scene, I and I wrote it down. Okay. My husband divorced me for religious reasons. He thought he was God. <laughs> okay. Nice. <laughs> I was like, "That's awesome." That's funny. That sounds like something you'd see in one of those uh, catalogs that you get like around Christmas time oh, with yeah. all the weird stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, this movie uh, gets better every time you watch it. Every time. As far as I'm concerned. It holds up 15 years later. It's And that's the thing, because it, it kind of is pretty nondescript in its time frame. Mm-hmm. You know, it looks like it borrows from a couple of different decades. It's timeless. Yeah. And that's very smart. Yeah. And it deals with timeless themes. Right. You know, friendship and, you know, the loss of youth. I think the main theme of the movie is probably what Napoleon says to Pedro right before the speech, which was, just listen to your heart. That's what I do. Nice. That really rang true with a lot of people. Hey, you know what? It rang true with Fox Studios. Did you know that there's a Napoleon Dynamite statue? On the lot there now? I did not know that. There is. Bronze. Beautiful. Well, I think that's a good way to end the podcast. I what do you think? So. The Screen Facts with Jason Davis podcast is a production of Jason Davis VoiceOver. Please visit jasondavisvoice.com if you need a voice for a commercial, internet and corporate video, e-learning, phone message, and more. Please like the Screen Facts Facebook page. It's facebook.com slash screenfacts. And you can also tweet at Jason Davis Voice. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll talk to you soon. Yes.